With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Matt Williams, not the third baseman. (laughs) Yeah, not that guy. (laughs) Fifth overall, 0.4 war, played 10 games in the majors. Right there, um, probably led to the CBA being changed. That that maneuver, not that pick, but that it specific did. maneuver. There's not even any question about yep. it. That, that is what happened. And welcome to episode number 169 of Artificial Turf Wars, a podcast that's been socially distant for years and years. I'm your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined by the indomitable Joshua Housem. Josh, how's it going? I like it. That's yeah, a good one. Ten dollar word, <laughs> baby. <laughs> it's going all right. Yeah, you keeping uh, healthy and safe? Mostly. Like, Mostly. Be here, I got a bit of a cold, but I do not have anything worse than that, so I will take that. Just a little raspy. We can all deal with a little rasp here and there. So, yeah, um, this is the first of our global pandemic edition podcasts. And there is no baseball, you may have noticed. Uh, yes, I. it's been hard not to notice. <laughs> there are no major sports at all, really, at this point. So uh, this is a bit uh, unusual for us, other than the way we are conducting the podcast is exactly the same way we have always conducted it, uh, from a very, very safe distance, Josh and I, each in our own home. So <laughs> this, this might be the only thing I haven't changed about my lifestyle in the past week and a half. Sounds about right. All right. So what we're going to do here, since there's no uh, significant news to talk about, I mean, there's the occasional roster thing and, uh, you know, in baseball, there's there's been a couple surgeries announced and stuff, but because there's no real significant news, and, and even if there is news about a roster change, um, you know, it doesn't really matter at this point because there's no schedule, um, we're going to focus a little differently uh, because there are 43 years of Blue Jays history to mine. And we are going to take our uh, our statistical mining shovel and pickaxe, and we're going to dig. Because don't we love looking back at all the weirdness that has uh, added up to our current day Toronto Blue Jays? Yeah. Yeah, so you know, like over the next few episodes, depending on how long it takes for baseball to come back and the world to come back, we'll take different looks back at uh, at the team through different lenses. So I would say that uh, in your your wisdom and logic, uh, you cannot have a team unless you draft some players. <laughs> so our first it does make sense. Our first episode of the history uh, incomplete of the Toronto Blue Jays is going to focus on the strangeness and the high points and the low points of the Blue Jays and their drafts. Um, and I think probably starting at the very beginning here makes some some logical sense. So the very first draft of the Blue Jays uh, as a, a regular drafting team where they weren't taking other teams' leavings 
was after their disastrous, predictably, 1977 season. So they got... Well, uh, they, did, they did draft before the season. Okay. Or during the season. During the That's season. That's what they took... Yeah, that's like you know the first June draft was in the middle of the '77 season, and they had right. to pick at the back because they didn't get good expansion rights. <laughs> <You know, crappy laughs> didn't think that one through. So their first pick—that's interesting. Their first pick is an overall 25th pick. Yeah, wild. Yeah, and so this is—we're gonna—you're gonna get into this a bit, but they took Jesse Barfield in this draft with the ninth pick, ninth round pick. And, you know, everyone knows Jesse Barfield was a star and a big part of what eventually became some good teams. Their first eight picks did not make the major leagues. And neither did their 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th, or 14th pick. As a matter of fact, uh, only two of their pitches, uh, two of their picks in that, that draft even made the majors. Yeah, and one of them was Danny Ainge, <laughs> who did not stick in baseball for very long for good reason. I was going to say, you know, he, he one one of the uh, one of the picks became a very successful general manager, just not in baseball. Um, yeah. What I wonder was the whole philosophy of of the draft back in 1977. I mean, as I recall, there was some some talk about those teams and the management. They didn't really even have a full-time hitting coach at that point. It was like Major League Baseball was not the business we know it as today, where there's millions of dollars on the line every time somebody, you know, suits up and throws a pit. Yeah, I mean, there was definitely much more of a crapshoot aspect to the draft at this point. And it had only been around for about 15 years by then. I think it was the early 60s was the first one. And, you know, people didn't really know what they were doing. But at the same time, it still was the main way to get North American players. So you still had to do well at it in order to become successful. So do we think that that early team maybe lacked the, the resources in the scouting department to know who they were going after? I mean, they picked four high school players in a row. Tom Gafina, Dave Hodgins, Jim Tehan, and Daryl Hill, uh, about whom I know nothing because they never amounted to anything in the baseball world. A shortstop, a catcher, a right-handed pitcher, and a second baseman. It, it just seems, you know, incredibly random from, you know, the lens 40-odd years later. Well, one thing that I would suggest is that, you know, if you look at, especially back around this era, a lot of guys debuted really young. So the uh, the concept of really developing a guy for a long time in the minors wasn't so much a thing. Like, you know, the idea of, I don't know, so like a high school draft pick taking four to five years to make the bigs, if he was a first rounder, was kind of unheard of back then. It's like, if this guy is your top pick, you want him in the big leagues within a year or two or right away even sometimes, which was crazy, but happened. You want the Mark Fidriches of the world or the Fernando Valenzuelas of the world? Yeah, exactly. Now, obviously, those guys were special, but or Dwight Gooden or Daryl Strawberry or whatever. But But the point was, like, a lot of these guys were debuting very quickly because the minor leagues developmental system was not viewed the same way. So taking a lot of high schoolers wasn't seen as quite as risky, even though, you know, we know a lot better now. So anything else you want to talk about 1977 specifically? Because I mean, Jesse Barfield was obviously a hit that 222 other picks went by and still they ended up with, with, uh, you know, a guy who had almost 1500 games in the majors by the end of his career. No, I don't think there's much else to say there. I mean, like, 
the the first picks didn't work out, but they hit. I mean, like you cannot call this draft a failure because they got Jesse Barfield. Right. And, you know, 25th pick overall, they, they weren't expected, quote unquote, to end up with, you know, the, the best player in the draft because they, it, the first round was not theirs to have. Yeah. 1978, though. 1978, they picked second overall. Did they hit? Yeah. Shaker. <laughs> Shaker Mosby. So somebody spotted something. Um, again, another high school player. Matter of fact, this was just this draft for them was, again, loaded with high school players. Nine of the first 10 picks were high school. And notably, the one who was not was another hit. Was their fifth overall pick was Dave Steep. Right. So in their first two drafts, the Blue Jays have pulled in Lloyd Mosby, Dave Steeb, and Jesse Barfield, three cornerstones of those mid-80s really good baseball teams. So, like, if you were just looking at this, you know, obviously as we are now, it's like, okay, this team showed some acumen at least for maybe not hitting on most of their picks because most of their guys don't make the big leagues but still making sure that they get some value and like getting some really good players and like three superstars in these first two drafts. And then that that kind of went away really fast. Well, yeah, you're talking about a hundred wins above replacement in three guys over the first two years, which is awesome number. These are, and yeah. And almost all of that accrued while playing for the blue Jays. too. it wasn't like, these were guys that they drafted and, you know, they didn't really pan out. You know, they had a couple bad years in the majors and they got shipped off, shipped off for, you know, the equivalent of Darren Jackson. I'm thinking of Derek Bell. Um, but guys who were stars for the team. Yeah. I mean, guys who we, we think of as Blue Jays, even if, you know, Jesse Barfield ended up with the Yankees, uh, you know, and, and doing things with them. It's it's not hard to picture any of those three guys as a Blue Jay in, a, you know, in that uniform, first and foremost, which is great. Um, again, because this 1978 draft, other than Mosby and Steve, uh, had exactly two players who made the majors, uh, neither of which had a positive win value in their entire career. I'm sorry, Brian Milner and Dave Baker, you <laughs> did not make an impact. Um, there were 25 rounds of picks there, and literally only four guys who even made the majors. Like you said, they when they hit, they hit real big, but man, did they miss a lot. Yeah, and so that sort of became actually the prevailing theme, too, because... I don't think we need to go too, too specific into the 1979 draft, but they had the number three overall pick, and they took a guy named Jay Schroeder, who never made the bigs. The number two second round pick, 29th overall, they took a guy named Ron Shepard, who had a negative one and a half war in the bigs. Their third pick didn't sign. So they got negative war for the draft. Which is abysmal, to well, say the least. Yeah, and it's the reason that I'm like pointing this out, especially, is because this team was terrible. You know, they they didn't get great expansion rules as we talked about, so they couldn't. You know, they like they didn't get early picks in the first draft, and their team was so bad that they had the chance to take advantage by getting these early picks, and they just blew them. Now I'm going to run through this quickly, and we'll come back to look at some of these drafts specifically because there are some good picks in later rounds. But these are their first round picks in their first years after that terrible first season that you mentioned. Lloyd Mosby in 1978, great pick. Jay Schroeder, never made the majors. Gary Harris, 1980, second overall, never made the majors. Matt Williams, 
not the third baseman. <laughs> yeah, not that guy. <laughs> Fifth overall, .4 war, played 10 games in the majors. Now, the 21st pick, they got John Cerruti, who was okay. 1982, second overall pick, Augie Schmidt, never made the majors. Ninth overall pick next year, Matt Stark, played 13 games in the bigs, minus and a half, minus half of what went above replacement. That was what they did with top five and ten picks for the first seven drafts. And it's amazing that they were good by the mid-80s, given that they were doing that, because they could have been so much better. I wonder if the abysmal results from that were part of what pushed them into Central America. Um with a different, you know, a different focus on their resources to try and get players out of, um, out of the Dominican Republic and such. Just, just. Uh, to... Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a good theory. I mean, I mean, but especially when you talk about that, like this advantage they had down there, along with their draft picks, they could have been a powerhouse. Yeah. It's almost like there was, there was money for one or the other somehow. Like and and they decided to go with the, the you know the off the beaten path road because because that nineteen is the nineteen eighty draft the nineteen eighty draft is is I don't know like I don't look at draft pick overall but I would have to think that in the modern draft era it might be the worst draft ever. Do you mean the Jays draft or the yeah. draft of overall? No, the, the Jays. They nobody made the bigs. Yeah, literally, they're 25 rounds with the second overall pick to begin it, and not a single inning or plate appearance in the majors for any of these guys with any team. Like, we're not even saying value from the Blue Jays specifically in these drafts. We just get overall win pictures, right, um, from the baseball reference pages. N- never, Not even a guy who didn't catch on with the Jays who signed with somebody else. No. Never happened. Yeah. You know, th- like the pick before them was Daryl Strawberry. And it's like, oh, too bad. But he was obviously <laughs> going to go first overall. But there were a bunch of big leaguers that came afterwards. And uh, and they got none of them. None. Yeah. So I don't know if, at that point if people got fired or not. But can you imagine a modern draft where three years down the road, not a single player had developed into a major leaguer? or was, you know, on the cusp of becoming a major leaguer um, one way or another. Can you see that the management or the scouting department surviving that? No, there's no no chance. I mean, especially like like if you look at the 1982, which, you know, we'll get to 1982, had some great picks in it. But in the first round, they took Augie Schmidt, a shortstop, college shortstop who never made the bigs, and then Dwight Gooden was there. You know, like... Yeah. What were they doing? (laughs) You had your chance. To pick up, you know, and, and you, you, again, you can say, okay, you missed one one guy. We'll get into the you just missed somebody drafts a little later. Um, but if you're going to miss, you should get somebody who does something, you would hope, in that same draft. Which, uh, again, 1982, um, do you want to talk about 1982? Well, I mean, we can go to it because they didn't, like in 19, so 79, 80, and 81, they blew. Like they were just terrible um they got nothing out of it they got you know a total of six wins seven wins above replacement for the entire drafts and some of those and almost all of that was with players playing for other teams like it, it was just at the beginning of their expansion when they were still terrible they had this golden opportunity 
to really take steps forward, and they blew it. And that's why it took until 83, 84, 85 for them to actually, you know, become a good team. And yeah. 82, now you can, you know, this is the, the the second big step forward after those first three picks we talked about. I I think 1982 is probably the luckiest draft the Blue Jays will ever have. First, like you said, Augie Schmidt, total whiff on the first round pick. 30th overall, second round pick, they pick David Wells. And then their pick following that is 56th overall is Jimmy Key. So between them, they didn't have it all for the Blue Jays, but Wells and Key managed 100 wins above replacement and over 1,000 games in the major leagues as starting pitchers. Right. I mean, just two franchise-altering type <laughs> players. Yeah. Pick. Which is why this, like, imagine they took Dwight Gooden with that first pick. But anyway. Yeah, yeah. You never know what, what, I mean, every, then the entire draft changes after you pick Dwight Gooden, right? No, oh, maybe, maybe not. But, uh, yeah. You think so the Mets they, pick Augie Schmidt? <laughs> who knows? <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, that was the thing that really turned it around. Like, as you said, they did those investments in Latin America. They got George Bell with that Rule 5 pick, but, you know. Getting Jimmy Key with this draft, that was that second really good pitcher to throw in behind Dave Steeb. And, you know, it's worth it's his he, well, he was a reliever in his first season in eighty four, but in eighty five, that great team. Jimmy Key made thirty two starts and had an ERA of three. Which is more than you could possibly ask for. And and, and certainly over the years, Jimmy Key became synonymous with great left handed Blue Jays pitching. Yeah, he's one of the you know, it's. I've said this many times, but it's insane that he's not on the level of excellence. Yeah, but he's a, he's a franchise icon, and they got him with their third pick. And that other guy, David Wells, was a a good reliever and serviceable starter for the Blue Jays before he became, you know, a perennial All Star with the Yankees and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> But I think we, we, met, we were talking earlier, and I think you have to evaluate a draft by the talent that the draft team sees, not by how the team ends up using that talent, because they don't have any control over that, right? Yeah, I totally agree. It, you know, the pick is evaluated by what the guy became. Now, there is some level of flex to that because the development system that the player ends up being in will obviously determine somewhat where he becomes as a player. But in general, the difference between a star level player and a guy who never makes the bigs is pretty significant so we're going to give credit to the drafting team for david wells um also just as a shout out to mike henneman who was also picked but did not sign with the blue jays they they did try and get him as a junior uh college um pick way down in the 27th round but henneman's time was was not to be in 1982 and Wells actually started more games than, with the Jays than I thought he did. He actually had 25 starts in 1990 and 28 in 1991. Yeah, he was like the, the, the best fourth or fifth starter that I think the Blue Jays ever ever had in that, you know, pre-World Series time. Yeah. So but anyway, yeah, so, you know, their, their drafts a little bit after that, they were, you know, they, they continued their kind of bad drafts in 83 84 85 but at least they were getting guys that contributed you know in 83 they got glenn allen hill in the ninth round they they got in 84 they got greg myers at the second round and like 
you know, as you're going through, as long as you get a contributor, that was probably pretty good back then. Like someone who's like, who's a useful member of a good team as opposed to just, you know, makes the big leagues for a cup. Well, yeah, you, you can't have nothing year after year. That's someone needs to be held accountable for that kind of thing. As long as you're getting somebody, you can yeah. sort of, you know, you can sort of talk about the, the actual value of that draft. So that that is wild. Um, now, the Blue Jays do have, as history goes on, should we talk about some of the bigger, more interesting whiffs on picks? Yeah, I, I think we'll, we, we'll talk about some of the, the ones that you, you alluded to. And then I also were, I would like to play out that sort of thought you had about like what guys become elsewhere and how that can have the same kind of value. So because you still get that value out of the pick. So, yeah, I mean. You know, for first off, like there's some fun ones that the Jays like people, you know, they drafted them and never signed them. Everyone knows about Chris Bryant, who was never going to sign. And they took Aaron Nola, who I don't know what those circumstances around him were. But do you remember, did you know the Jays also took Jim Abbott in 1985? I only because I was scanning drafts. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now, they almost it looks like they took him as a serious long shot. Like what round did they take him in? Thirty six. 36th round. So they were not expecting Jim Abbott to sign, uh, not just because he had one hand, um, but I, I'm sure because he was a high schooler at that point. And that was, you know, when when you go down into the 30th round, I think you're you're voting for, you're sort of saying to the player, hey, we noticed you. Um, we know maybe you're not ready yet. Uh, but if you decide to go that, you know, if you're really hungry to try baseball right now, here's your, here's your chance. There's a lot of late round high school signs that end up being no's, right? Yeah. Like, you know, the Jays also drafted Ted Lilly. And now that was the 13th round, but he also did not sign. And you, I don't think you get excited about a team that doesn't draft a, a high schooler late uh, who can't sign them. Yeah, here, here's a fun one, though, just by the way. The Jays drafted Orlando Hudson in the 33rd round in 1996. Yeah. He did not sign. So they talk him in the 43rd round the next year and he signed. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes players think uh, think things over and realize, you know, well, this might be my only shot. Yeah. But now those, yeah, those bad ones, as you say. Go ahead. You can you can lead this off. Well, I think the most the most famous one is the Ricky Romero pick. Um, right before Troy Tulowitzki. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mentioned Dwight Gooden before that, but if you're going, you know, from the, as we move forward in time, well, the that one, one I, is especially, go ahead. It's the one that people who are still Jays fans are, you know, there's still a connection to that pick because Tulo just retired last year. Um, Romero has been, you know, in the Blue Jays sort of sphere recently, at least. Um, so I think, I think that's the one people, if you're a recent fan, you might be more aware of is that. Blue Jays could have had Troy Tulowitzki in what was it 2007? 2000 What year was that? Uh Ricky Romero was drafted in 2005. 2005. That, 2005. that draft, yeah, 2005 draft was loaded. <clears throat> so I think you know that's it's not just a, a Romero Tulo thing, but I think the highlight of 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 whiffing on someone so close to where you want to be. Um you know, you're talking about the sixth overall pick here for the Blue Jays. So there's a lot of talent in there. They they, yeah. they weren't able to get Ryan Zimmerman. They weren't able to get Ryan Braun. 
Justin Upton went first overall. Alex Gordon. All those guys have 30 wins. Now, to the Mariners, they drafted Jeff Clement to make the Blue Jays look not so dumb. Um, but but also, what, one, you know, I think McCutcheon went afterwards, but <laughs> one of the things that makes this one more interesting, aside from how loaded this first round is, as we're talking about, it's not so much that they didn't take Troy Tulowitzki. Um, you know, just like, as I said, with Dwight Gooden one, it's like, well, okay, like, we, that's just a player who did well afterward. That's like Mike Trout. We're not going to give the Jays blame for not taking Mike Trout when he was 21st overall. Mm-hmm. But, but the, the reason this one is specifically interesting is because the Jays' front office was split. A lot of them wanted the Jays to take Troy Tulowitzki. And the story goes that J.P. Ricciardi went down to see him and he had a bad game. And it was like, then there was rain. He like struck out three times or something like that. And that was it. And then it was going to be Ricky Romero. And it's a terrible process that led to that. (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, one set of eyeballs one time is probably the worst. It's, It's bad enough that drafts are built on these tiny college sample sizes and high school games against competition that you're really not sure about. But for the general manager to look at a guy one time and decide that a bad day made him a non-starter is that yeah that's horrible process it's crazy yeah and the other one that i'd like to talk about again these are more recent because we have you know we were around so we sort of know some of the things that were going on at the time i, I don't want to leave 2005 just yet okay sorry go ahead because we talked about they just missed on troy Tulowitzki. we should also highlight cameron mabin was picked later andrew mccutcheon who was worth actually... I mentioned him. Yeah, you mentioned Kutch, but Kutch technically has been worth slightly more than Troy Tulowitzki and is still, you know, a a, a viable player. Um, Jacoby Ellsbury was picked after in that draft. Matt Garza is more valuable than Ricky Romero and was in that draft. Colby Rasmus was more valuable (laughs) than Ricky Romero in that draft that was picked later. And uh, there was so many picks in that draft that panned out in the majors it is quite a remarkable year so for the blue jays to only end up with the 10 wins of ricky romero is really unfortunate heck cliff pennington was worth just as much as ricky romero yeah no like the now at the same time like going back then if you were to ask the scouts and you know like the baseball america when they're doing all the draft prep it was basically between Tulowitzki and Romero at that spot. Like it wasn't like they reached for Romero. That's not what happened. Like he was a viable top ten pick. It's just that he got hurt and never was able to throw strikes anymore. I mean that happens. Oh yeah, I, I just think that it's remarkable that a draft was was so loaded with talent that if the Jays had gone off the board, so to speak, you know, and and reached for say Jay Bruce, and and they might have been you know crucified for it at the time. But it turns out that in the long run, Jay Bruce turned out to be, you know, talented enough to take it sixth. And they were all so many picks available. The drafts just don't don't always pan out like that, right? That's it was a crazy draft. Yeah, it was. Um, another draft that had a lot of intrigue for the Blue Jays going into it was the 20 and, and just for baseball in general, the 2010 draft was Bryce Harper, James and Tyler, Manny Machado, one, two, three. So there was a lot of noteworthy stuff matt harvey was in this draft drew pomeranz like there were a lot of really interesting players and the jays were the were one of the teams that most people were really interested to see because they had 
the first pick, well, their first pick was 11th, but then they also had the 34th, 38th, 41st, 61st, and 69th and 80th picks. So they had, just do some math there, seven of the first 80 picks. Now, before you go any further into the picks, you might want to explain to the folks who weren't around, how the heck do you get a ridiculous number of draft picks all sandwiched together? Because you can't do that anymore. Yeah, I guess I've gone out of order here, here a bit too, because there used to be two ways to get picks that are similar to now, actually. If you fail to sign a pick, you get a compensation pick for it the following year. One time only, though. If you fail to sign yeah. a compensation pick, you're yeah, out of and luck. And that, that still applies. That rule still exists. Yeah, no, no. I'm just saying that in general, you can't just keep rolling picks as you fail, as you yeah. fail to sign people. And then there was the old system before the qual- now it's a qualifying offer is the only way to get compensation if a player leaves as a free agent where you offer the person you know whatever the top the average of the top 125 salaries so it's about 18 million on average and they have the choice to accept it or reject it they reject it and there's compensation back then all you had to do was offer the player arbitration and then picks would become attached to them so the the pick that was aaron sanchez which was in this draft was for marco scudero <laughs> they offered marco scudero and and players that were type b free agents were the prime and this you know like i'm going way off topic here but this is why alex anthopoulos bought miguel olivo and declined his option and you know that changed all the rules i was gonna say i because, would argue that that pick right there um probably led to the cba being changed that that maneuver not that pick but that specific there's not even any question about it that that is what happened um because if a player was considered type a then the team that signed the player would lose a pick but if he was type b then no one would lose anything so there would be no hesitation to sign guys and so like mark rod barajas was a type b and so the jays got a pick that became Asher Wojciechowski when he was when he signed. Scooter was actually type A, which was crazy. So they got two picks for him. But they also got Noah Syndergaard in the second round because they failed to sign James Paxton the year before, which you wanted to talk about. Well, yeah, because uh, that was still the Paul Beeston team president with Alex Anthopoulos as his general manager, period. Um, James, was, James Paxton well, actually, seemed like a, 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 a no a no-brainer to sign him did it not well actually so what's funny is richardi was still the gm but they took the draft away like so beeson and aa were in charge of negotiating with draft picks even though richardi was on his because he was on his way out right he was about to get fired right not that this team has enough drama in its history to screw up the uh the winning of the games but <laughs> this appears to be yet another example of it. so james Paxson, you pick a uh what number was he here? Uh, he was a sec- first round. He was a supplemental pick the previous year. Right. So you sign a Canadian uh, in the second round, and shouldn't everybody go home happy by just giving him full slot, or maybe even a little more full slot hometown, you know, bonus? Thanks for being a Canadian on the Blue Jays. It's a great PR move. And then they started to argue over money. Apparently. Yeah, and look, that happened. I mean, they they didn't sign him, so he was their third, their set first supplemental supplemental pick. They didn't sign their second or third rounders that year, which is crazy. But 
What what makes Paxton one especially bad is apparently they weren't that far apart, and then Beeston tanked his ability to pitch in college. So what exactly did Beeston say that that made that an impossibility for for Paxton, or you know, killed his eligibility? Yeah, I'll get the exact quote. But so the rules are that if you are drafted, you are not allowed to have your agent do the negotiating for you. You're allowed to have a representative who, you know, who, who advises you, but you're not allowed to actually have the agent talk on your behalf, which is, by the way, insane. But that is the rules. That's NCAA now, rules, though. That's not Blue Jays, or that's not MLB rules, right? Correct. Yeah, that's an NCAA rule. I'm trying to get the exact quote. It's not coming up. But Beeston, when they failed to sign Paxton, he said, uh, no, I'm just going to paraphrase then. He said that, like, well, you know, when you're negotiating with Boras, like, that kind of stuff happens. And because he said that, James Paxton was ruled ineligible by the NCAA. Which I think is on the NCAA in this case, but... Um, no, it's not. It's 100% well, on Beeston yeah. because he knew the rule and he said it out loud. He did it on purpose. Yeah, just to screw with James Paxton. So now even if James and Paxton comes us. back around, what happened? He's never going to sign with the Blue Jays ever, even though the yeah, talent and he, level's still there. And he fell to the fourth round. Because he wasn't pitching in college. He was pitching in like an independent league where he didn't have time to ramp up and he wasn't as good. It it hurt him. And if you look at all of the people who were around him in that initial draft in terms of talent level, other than Mike Trout, James Paxton, who who got delayed by a year and like you said, had had lost a lot of value for himself, is still one of the most valuable pitchers in that draft. Players, period. Other than the guys who went top eight, top nine, he's one of the best players. Again, yeah. Mike Trout accepted. So, <laughs> yeah, well, Mike Trout is like, he laps the field multiple times. But yeah, so like, so they screwed him. But anyway, so that's led, led into this 2010 draft that I was talking about. So that's why they had all these picks. And so basically, when they, with their 11th overall pick, people expected the Jays to just... They expected them to take Chris Sale <laughs> because Chris Sale was, you know, if he was there, right? There was a question about whether he'd be there. They thought maybe Karsten Whitson, who never ended up signing and, you know, he didn't he didn't make it to them anyway. But basically the Jays were supposed to be between Karsten Whitson, the high schooler, or Chris Sale, the raw college pitcher, but with all kinds of talent. And then they took deck mcguire the whole idea was that they they would take a high-end pitcher or high-end player because they had all the cover of all these picks so they could take some risk and they took the safe college pitcher who ended up not being safe at all because he never did anything in the majors they just totally blew it yeah i am fascinated by this period in jay's history where they appear to have accumulated a massive amount of leverage in the draft and then never pushed down on the lever enough no it's funny because the twenty six the twenty ten draft ended up being quite valuable to them. I mean, they took Aaron Sanchez with their second pick, Noah Syndergaard with their third pick, and then players that ended up getting traded. They also took Asher Wojciechowski, Justin Nicolino, Sean Nolan. I mean, all of those guys were parts of major trades. But they didn't take that 
they didn't get that value right out of the top of the draft. They ended up getting it, you know, just a little bit further down. So maybe they maybe they knew what they were doing all along. But that that deck Maguire instead of Chris Sale or you know a couple of the other guys along there, uh, Christian Yelich and Yasmani Grandal were also in this draft and available at the time. But is... again, it's all, it's not even about who didn't go, who went after, and all that stuff. Yeah, I mean. It's about the process, which is the same thing that happened with Romero and Tulowitzki, where they did something that they shouldn't have done. I mean, they, they had the chance to really take a home run swing and they tried to play it safe. And then, you know, there's no such thing as a safe pitcher, but they mm-hmm. <laughs> and it didn't work. And, you know, it hurt them. Which is wild. So now that we've uh, slagged on um, the Blue Jays having a crappy process. There was a period, arguably, where they had a impressive process, um, which now I don't know where the heck. Oh, is this the window I had open? No. Yeah. Man, I got too many. Well, anyway, so I I can jump in here a little bit. Yeah. Basically, from the late 80s, 88, 89, until 2003, they, they, you know, they were hitting on a bunch of early picks. I mean, players included in this draft, and this this is just first overall first round picks. Ed Sprague, Steve Carsey, who was traded for Ricky Henderson, Sean Green, Shannon Stewart, Chris Carpenter, Roy Halladay, Billy Koch, Vernon Wells, Alex Rios, Aaron Hill was the 2003 one. Now there was, a, that's pretty good. Yeah, I mean that's a 15 year stretch where you've hit on all star caliber players with your first pick like what a third of the time that's that's just there's not that many all-stars to go around i'm i would be impressed yeah and you know they also took in, in that time period 1989 they took john olerud in 1997 <clears throat> they took orlando hudson again late and they got michael young in the fifth round in 1998 you know they were not just hitting on those first ones they were also getting some decent players after that but i wanted to you know there's the interesting thing that happened there though so they were doing so well and then in 2000, 2001, and 2002, they whiffed again. Oh, is that J.P. Ricciardi's first year? Uh, Ricciardi started in 2000, and his first draft was 2002. So he, the first, first two of those were not him. So Miguel Negron and Gabe Gross um, were not his problem. But his very first pick. <laughs> yeah, Russ Adams. With Russ Adams. And, you know, every Jays fan knows about that one, like how badly that went. But like in 2000, they got a total of 1.9 wins above replacement from the draft. And it was Dustin McGowan and Vinny Chult. And we know how long it took to get the value out of Gus. Well, not how long it took, but we know how much effort went into Dustin McGowan due to his injuries versus how much you got back out of him. And it's arguable that you didn't really get anything out of Dustin McGowan at all. Yeah. And, you know, in 2000... And one, it was a Gabe Gross who you know, took forever to become anything, and it was not with the Blue Jays. And Brandon League, who also did most of his work not with the Blue Jays. But he did have a tattoo of his own name on his back. That's true. And also, at least Brandon League got them uh, Brandon Morrow. So they got value. But, you know, and then the, uh, the Russ Adams year, like Dave Bush ended up being somewhat useful, but nobody else was worth anything. Everyone was either zero wins above replacement or worse. So they had this really good stretch, 
and then three really bad years, and then Aaron Hill came along, and then it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, we do remember how to draft people. Awesome. <laughs> and interesting, that was like J.P. Richardi putting doing his college player thing. So they had some bad first-round picks after that, too. Zach Jackson, Dave Percy. But they had some good players. So it was kind of a weird time period for the Blue Jays in their draft. There are a lot of, of ups and downs that don't seem to exactly line up with the management who's in charge. So I think it is a bit of a reminder that the process is a bit of a crapshoot anyway, no matter which way you look at it. Yeah, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with that. Uh, one thing that is somewhat interesting, though, this is going to help you with something we'll do later, uh, none of the players that Blue Jays have drafted and signed since J.P. Ricciardi took over the team have reached 20 wins by replacement by baseball reference. That is a long stretch. Yeah. That's half the team's 20 history, years. Essentially. Now, you do subtract the last four years or five, well, at least five years, because there's no way anybody's going to reach 20 wins in the last five years in the franchise. No, of course. But, I mean, Aaron Hill made it. He's the only one. Yeah. And then... Nobody else. I mean, they, they, you know, there were some players that certainly could have done that. Well, you, there's still a couple of players who could do it. James Paxton being one of them. Well, I don't we know him. him. They didn't sign him. But, you know, again, Noah Syndergaard could get there, right? Marcus Stroman could get there. Yeah. Well, that's about it. But that's really the only ones I can yeah. think of. Um, I mean, you look at some of the other guys that, you know, it's like uh, Kevin Pillar theoretically could get there. An enigma wrapped in a confusion. Yeah, but just before we move off of this, and then we get to the, some of the, the... So, in 2009, like the Jays traded a lot of their picks. They So, 2009, Jake Merzik, third-rounder, traded. 2010, Noah Syndergaard, Justin Nicolino, Sean Nolan, traded. And this is just before they did anything for the Jays. Mm-hmm. Anthony Discofani, 2011, traded. 2013, Graven and Boyd, traded. They traded a lot of picks. And then obviously Sanchez, Pilar, and Stroman also got traded during that time. And those are the only people who actually did anything in that from those draft years. I think you could argue that that strategically, um, whether you agree with it or not, there was a reason to be trading away people in this twenty thirteen to twenty fifteen kind of window. That those picks were absolutely about getting some kind of value right away to try and make it into the playoffs. Whether it was a good idea or bad idea, you know, that's where you were losing some of those draft picks. No, 100%. I mean, you know, the the first one where it was Kevin Comer, Jake Mer- no, no, Merzik wasn't that deal. Kevin Comer, Asher Wojciechowski, Joe Musgrove to get Jay Happ that first time. Yeah. That one was a kind of a weird trade where Jay Happ was the only one who was any good that came to Toronto and then... Musgrove is the only one who came any, became anything elsewhere. But the other ones, they were all that Marlins trade or the Donaldson trade or the Price trade. I mean, these were all, or, you know, <laughs> superstars. Yeah, and you're, you're giving away real talent. You're not, getting, you're not getting David Price even for two months for nobody, at least a perceived nobody, which makes sense. Yeah. All right, now's the part where I look like uh, I haven't been paying attention for the last 30 years. These aren't going to be too hard for you. <laughs> All right. So I'm not I'm not clicking away through pages and pages of baseball reference stuff. A, uh, I'm not good at it. Uh, B, where's the fun in that? Okay, so 
I have the top 20 players by Baseball Reference War that were drafted by the Blue Jays and signed by the Blue Jays. So you're not going to see any Chris Bryants on here. Okay. <clears throat> so make this really easy to start for you. Okay. Who's number one? So, it, it, hitter or is it a hitter or a pitcher? Who's number one? What do you think is the, the, Roy the most? Yes. Okay. There's. <laughs> well, because because Carlos Delgado's there. He's not drafted. Okay, fair enough. Carlos Delgado was back in that foreign investment you were talking about. Right. So Roy Halladay, number one. All right. Hall of Famer. So Seems like a no Can you guess the top five? <sighs> no, no, it doesn't have to be in order. No, no, I'm not trying to go. Oh, hell, I'm. <laughs> We'd be here all day if we're going in order. Sean Green. He's not in the top five. Um, Dave Steep, he is in there. We'll go to Jesse Barfield. No, I'll give you the names. Tell me if any of them are surprises to you. Okay. So Roy Holiday is first at sixty-four point two. Second, John Olerud. No, no, that's fifty-eight point one. It's not that third. surprising. Sorry, what? That is not that surprising. No, Dave Steep is third, fifty-six point four. I'll give you a hint on this next one. Who's okay. fourth? He was a 20th round pick. And his fame is not with the Blue Jays. But through a trade, he led to incredible success. Franchise-altering success for the Blue Jays. Um, and he's on the Hall of Fame ballot right now. Oh, good Lord. He's a second baseman. Well, people can all laugh at me, but... He uh, was traded for David Cohn. How about that? Oh, Jeff Kent. There you go. How many wins did Jeff Kent have? 55.4. That's... Okay, that surprises the heck out of me. Because I always think about Jeff Kent and Barry Bonds being on the same team and thinking Jeff Kent sucks. But, in fact, it's Barry Bonds who's so far ahead of everybody else that he makes Jeff Kent look like he sucks. And the next one is David Wells, who you read about earlier. Yes. Who I would not Jays necessarily actually... have picked, but yeah. Yeah, so the Jays actually had five players who had 50 or more wins above replacement, and Jimmy Key came in at 48.9. That's pretty good. Yeah, it is pretty good. Only yeah, they, drafted... they haven't even gotten to half of that, like you mentioned, in the last 20 years. Well, that's the thing, like, right? For the first, their first 20 years of existence... Yeah, yeah. So, you know, if you count Aaron Hill, it actually works out perfectly almost. They drafted 20 players who had 20 or more war. And then a bunch of them who were in the 10 to 20 range. And, yeah, it just hasn't really happened since. I mean, like, the most... So, they, they have uh, 43rd round, Orlando Hudson, 30.9. Woody Williams, 28th round, 30.2. Right, never would have thought that. Right, nobody guessed that one, but he was good. Yeah, and you know, we got players like Shannon Stewart, Todd Stottlemyre, Alex Rios, Chris Carpenter. Yeah, Chris Carpenter. I mean, there's a lot of guys who alone have really good careers who were brought into baseball as members of the Toronto Blue Jays, and you know, it would have been really interesting to see how history would have played out if some of them stuck around, like Michael Young, who I mentioned. 
or hmm. Jeff Kent. <laughs> it, it, it is crazy to me. You know, obviously David Cohn was absolutely critical in 1992 to, yep. to making that team. That had the Blue Jays not won the World Series in 1992, can you imagine how, how differently that Jeff Kent loss would have been viewed? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> or you know what? I think if they had not made it to the World Series, because they'd never made it before either, okay. right? But, but yeah, but I if mean, they were one and done in the playoffs with David Cohn, um, and then, you know, Roberto Alomar notwithstanding, you could have found a home for Jeff Kent <laughs> somewhere on the Blue Jays. Um, yeah, that would have just been a, a wildly different perception of that trade. Yeah, and it would have been yeah totally different. Like, I mean, it's like if you ask Red Sox fans about when they traded Larry Anderson, traded for Larry Anderson, they give up Jeff Bagwell. Yeah, and they didn't win the World Series in 1990. So you know, it's the same kind of thing. Like that's how it would be viewed. Yeah, it would be a big blunder, but because Cone filled in the way he was supposed to fill in, then we you know we take that well, as the cost of doing business. He'll be viewed like Michael Young, right? Uh, yeah, Esteban Loiza, sorry. We love you, but <laughs> I think yeah, we're creeping but... into the episode of about best and worst trades in Blue Jays history already. Which we will get to as one of these episodes. It'll be maybe a little easier to, to do that one than this draft one, which was kind of a little, you know, it's a draft. <laughs> a lot of weird things happen in the drafts so or weird things happen in this podcast. But, you know, like, you know, based on what you're hearing as reports. It sounds like the Jays drafts are getting, they've been okay lately, which, you know, I mean, like well, we don't know, right? If, but like Jordan Groshans is, if you're sorry, looking for a healthy guy to break the 20 wins above replacement thing in the next five to 10 years, your guy's Nate Pearson. Yeah. Who was you know considered a steal at twenty eight? Jordan Groshans, who was a surprise. You know, like Alec Manoa, people like him. Like they've had some drafts recently that have people excited. And this is why I was talking about the process stuff, right? Because <clears throat> nobody thought that Deck McGuire was going to be any good. They thought he'd be like a number three starter or something like that. He didn't even make that. But there's no one saying that he could be an ace. People are saying that Nate Pearson is an ace. People are saying that Jordan Groshans can hit in the middle of the lineup. You know, and that's kind of the thing you want people to be saying about your drafts. And, and you know, obviously it's prospects and who knows if they're going to work out or not, but you know, it certainly can. And you know, like they, you know, Bo Bichette looks like he could be a star from recent draft. Kevin Biggio is looking really good. So like it's looking a lot better. All right. So I'm I'm we're gonna wrap this up, but first of all, I don't think we should go an entire podcast about Blue Jays draft picks without a single time saying JP, JP Aaron Sibia first rounder. So I've just said it. <laughs> he did okay. present positive value over the course of his very strange career. Uh, yeah. I mean, he was, he is a power hitting catcher, right? And, and literally the only thing he hit for was power, which was remarkable. Uh, there's a lot more games uh, names on there, folks, that uh, might send you back down Nostalgia Lane. We went to Baseball References um, uh, draft pick search. Uh, you can search by year. You can search by team. 
you can search by round. So if you are bored, which many of you might be cooped up in your house and bored, uh, we do highly recommend Baseball Reference. And if you have any questions about Blue Jays history or stats or uh, anything that comes up on Baseball Reference, by all means, tweet us or email us. Uh, what was our... Do we have a podcast email still? Yes, but... Tweet us at TurfPod. Yeah, that's that's better. <laughs> it's just easier. Uh, all right. So, in an extremely unusual fashion, I guess that's the part where I ask you, uh, do you have a final thought that's not draft pick related? <laughs> um, not, I mean, you know, it's kind of hard to have too many baseball thoughts, but there there is a weird one that's happening. That uh, you keep all this news is coming out about players being optioned to the minors, and it's just like, wait, what? <laughs> like, why are roster moves happening? And I, but it seems to be because like the league has not come to an agreement with the, with the players' association on what to do about service time if the season gets wiped out or doesn't get or parts of it get wiped out. Well, parts of it are going to get wiped out, but. So teams are optioning players just so they don't lose service time on these guys that, you know, in case something weird gets agreed to while they're just waiting around. Um, yeah, it's nobody knows what's going on anywhere. And baseball is just a mirror of that, I think. Uh, so after our, our only season preview that we did, talking about whether Chris Sale was going to be able to help the Red Sox, uh, the answer is no. <laughs> as a follow-up to that because he's had chris john he's having tommy john surgery correct so um we're gonna pour one out for maddie maddie 2000 whose hopes of a good season are even further in the tank if it ever happens uh and on on that note because i don't have any injury news from the blue jays i would say that uh, you have been josh Housem at joshua Housem, and i have been greg wisniewski at coolhead 2010 and this has been episode number episode number 169 of Artificial Turf Wars. And we will talk about you. No, we will talk at you next week. Thanks.